You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. It was the year of fire. The year of destruction. The year we took back what was ours. It was the year of rebirth. The year of great sadness. The year of pain. And the year of joy. It was a new age. It was the end of history. It was the year everything changed. The year is 2261. The place, Babylon 5. Who am I? I am Susan Ivanova, commander. Daughter of Andre and Sophie Ivanov. I am the right hand of vengeance and the boot that is going to kick your sorry ass all the way back to Earth. I am death incarnate. And the last living thing that you are ever going to see. It's over because we've decided it's over. Now get the hell out of our galaxy! Hello and welcome to the Epsilon 3, a Babylon 5 rewatch podcast. Each week we review an episode of the 1990s sci-fi TV classic Babylon 5. This week, Season 4, Episode 1, The Hour of the Wolf. I'm Paul. I'm Dan. I'm Sean. And And we we are are the Epsilon 3. Oh dear, it's a full moon. Oh boy. What would would happen if you put a werewolf on the moon? (laughs) Good question. Yeah, that's, that's been keeping me awake at nights for the last few weeks. Anyway, synopsis. Ivanova, Dylan, and Lita travel to Zahadoom to search for Sheridan, while Shakar ventures out to search for Garibaldi. Londo finds that the political climate on Centauri Prime has worsened under the rule of Cartagia, the insane emperor. Written by JMS and directed by David J. Eagle, this episode was released on November the 4th, 1996, and takes place from December 28th, 2260 to January the 6th. 2261. And the guest stars Patricia Tolman as Lita Alexander, Ed Wasser as Morden, Wartham Krimmer as Emperor Cartagia, Wayne Alexander as Lorien, because he's worth it, Damien Londo as Minister, Ardright Chamberlain as the voice of Kosh, Mark Henderson as Drazi Ambassador. Rick Ryan as Brakiri Ambassador, and uncredited is Bill Blair as Alien and Leah Huff as Naron Stroke Cadet, as it is written down here. So, guys, what did we think of the first episode of Season 4? What a way to start Season 4. <laughs> Definitely enjoyable episode. It, uh, it, it Jakar gives us kind of the uh, captain's log supplemental kind of uh, <laughs> running commentary of what's been happening. It's been seven days since Sheridan and Garibaldi have been lost. Londo's back home as the security advisor. Uh, Delenn won't eat and the shadows have caused the war. 
And so. where is Mr. Garibaldi? And what has happened to Sheridan and Zahadoum? Indeed, where could they mm. be? So a, a pretty great start and uh, a nice little uh, previously on from Jakar. So that that was that was a good way to do it, actually. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's good uh, recap. Nice little recap there. Hmm. Yeah, it, and it feels sort of a continuation from last season when we opened up with Ivanova doing that sort of um, monologue and she was catching us up. So it was nice that they sort of kept this formula going of a character just explains to us in the form of like a diary entry what's been going on. Uh, and it's been a couple of days since the, you know, the, the big finale or the big cliffhanger. And it, it's good. And I love the uh, the character work. I love that the explanation of the title of the episode is in it and what that means, uh, you know, and the fact that um, Ivanova is going through this period of self-doubt. So she is now getting a bit of a character arc. You know, we've loved Ivanova, but it, she has been that solid rock. She's always been the person who comes to when the things go boom. But now she's doubting herself as well. So that was really interesting for me. But uh, something that um, uh, Paul said actually last week when we were reviewing the season three, it's a lot of talking. And we've just had some really big action episodes and there was talking in there that they, they had a good balance to them. You know, you had the entertainment and you had the cerebral quality, whereas this is all the cerebral stuff. And when it does just veer into the uh, side of action where they go to Zahadun to try and figure out what's going on, it still doesn't quite deliver enough for me on that one. Um, so as much as I love the character work and I love all the speeches that we get out of this and we even get to meet Mr. Crispy, sorry, Mr. Morden, um, you know, there's great moments, but I don't know if it makes it for a great episode. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I this is just like a middle of middle season episode to me. We've had the big battle, we've had the big you know uh, action episode, and then we have that little sort of relax, bit of a mouthwash, and then we get ready for the uh, the you know the next you know big one. But this is a season opener, and it should start mm. with something big, not. Well, we've lost the captain, and where's Garibaldi? And oh, it's all going wrong. And uh, and it, yes, I know we've just had a big war, but the idea is to start with a damn good episode. This also happens to um, have start. Uh, I'm going to check the start date of this compared to the end date of the last season. I don't think there was too much between it. Um, he says, trying to find his notes uh, we press the wrong but but yeah it's more of a gearing up episode it's it's a recap and a gearing up it's not anything's mm. nothing's really happening it's just kind of set up and uh exposition mm. that's right i mean okay so season three finished in uh, on october the 28th 1996 and the next season starts a week later really i wow. don't remember that in in live time hmm well, like I, 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 I never saw it in lifetime, so I, I, I don't know. But it's, uh, I, when I was writing down the dates, I thought, I'm sure that's fairly quick after the, uh, mm -hmm. the previous episode. Yeah. Now that's like almost thirty mm. years ago, but mm. yeah, I don't, I don't remember. It just, it just keeps going, <laughs> mm. and there is obviously a break at some point. I think it's in between June and October, so they do like a mid-season break. Maybe that's the writers' strikes at the time. I don't know, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a very short um, end of one season, beginning of the next. So it's like having, um, you know, best of both worlds of Star Trek happening one week after the other. It would, yeah, it would just, there's no cliffhanger the, instead of the four months mm -hmm. wait. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So anyway, as uh, Sean said, it just 
that nicely did the prologue for me, so we don't have to do that. Uh, but the, <laughs> then we uh, we get the cue new title music. We get the new uh, season four title music, which the eagle-eared of you will have heard at the beginning of this episode, unless, of course, you just skip the first two minutes like you normally do. Um, if you did, <laughs> go back and listen to the new titles that I've created. There you go. Ivanova have is you already created them? I have created Have you already created them at this time? Oh, okay. Right. At, at time of recording, yes. <laughs> I was. I did, actually did it last night because I... Uh, sorry, was it last night? Yes, because I was... Uh, I'd, I'd uh, reviewed and written the synopsis out for the first... No, not last night. We're on Wednesday, aren't we? So it's Monday I did it. Um because I had a few uh, I did the first synopsis for the uh, for the for this episode and then I thought I won't do the second one it's going to be too late. What can I do in the meantime? Oh, I know. I need to create the new title music. So I so you did. did that. Yeah. So That's so it. to break the Very fourth nice. wall, this episode that we're recording right now comes out at the end of April, but as yes. we're recording it it's actually March 15th. Yeah, that's how far in advance we are. Yes, <laughs> that's because of our four-week break that we've just come out of uh, for this uh, episode. Uh, we didn't have the break; we still recorded lots of stuff in between, uh, but we needed a gap because we're in, in danger of recording on a Wednesday and putting it out on a Sunday, which is dangerously close to being missing. Yeah, that's so. not fun. No. Mm-hmm. So although we're six weeks ahead at the moment, that's soon going to jump back down again to <laughs> two and a half weeks or something, which is unusual. And you know what else isn't fun? Uh, the, the League of Babylon Five defense it's shattering. <laughs> I thought he was going to go into. <laughs> I this, know this promo for. Don't see it. I was like, it's already on the third scene of the episode. That's no. way too early. No, I was just getting us back on track. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Ivanova is losing patience with the council as they are recalling uh, recalling their ships back to their home worlds to regroup and tend to their wounds. That they feel they will not win the war, but they want to survive it. Delenn goes to Zahadum herself to see what has happened to Sheridan. Malari has been summoned to see the Emperor. He's not changed since the last time he saw him, except for the short hairstyle sported by the Emperor. Yeah, that's uh, a new... Uh, what would Emperor's, you call it? Emperor's new clothes, I think. I mean, it wants to, you know, what the Emperor does, everybody says is very good and will follow him, obviously. Right, because he's got the shortest little uh, crest of hair ever, and uh, you're supposed to have the highest to show yeah. your rank. Yeah. Oh, he's showing his rank already. Sorry, he's showing he is rank. Uh, he wants Malari to arrange things, things that will be explained later. And he was requested by somebody, somebody who we will meet later. Via confirms to Ivanova that Sheridan jumped into a two-mile-deep chasm just before the White Star exploded. He believes the rumours are true about Sheridan's death. Malari returns to his quarters to find Mr. Morden, or what's left of him. He was too close to the blast and looks in bad shape. Whilst peeling his skin, he tells Malari that the Shadows are looking for, for help from outsiders. They want Malari to be their liaison between the Shadows and the Royal Court. He does not want to, but he has no choice. That was pretty bad manners, wasn't it? You're peeling your dry skin while you're talking to somebody. Mm. And dropping it on the floor of your host's room. Yeah, he's going to vacuum that on later. Yeah, that was pretty (laughs) gross. Good good makeup effects. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. I I was getting a lot of of uh, the Emperor from Star Wars from it, though, like, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's so, so it, but it's like the cut price version. He can't even be bothered to get a hologram in. He has to sit there and peel himself out as he goes. 
Dylan meets with Lita and Kosh. Darth Kosh will do nothing to help the League as Sheridan has opened an unexpected door and they will do what they will do. Sheridan has fulfilled his purpose. Dylan wants the Vorlon to send out a search party, but he refuses. Zack finds Gar Garibaldi's quarters are open and goes in to investigate. He finds Jakar wearing Garibaldi's hat. He is disturbed that he is missing. Zack points out that Sheridan needs to be found first. Shakar asks if the picture above the bed is a god. Zack tells him that the Daffy Duck picture is the Egyptian god of frustration. Shakar goes in search of Garibaldi, wherever that will take him. Malari has lost his coat and must wear an old purple one instead. When he, goes, when he gets outside, he sees a fleet of shadow ships arriving. He tells the Emperor to move away from the window, and as he goes to pull him away, he's accosted by one of the guards. He acts, he acts, who am I, a flipping Nigerian? He asks the Emperor what he has done. He has given them the island of Cellini, barely inhabited and perfectly suited for their purposes. They are guests of the Centauri Republic. In return, he will continue as Emperor and become immortal, as he is the centre of the Republic. He will be remembered as a god! It is his destiny! After a while, after the, well, what are a few million lives when he could become a living god. It is said that he has a desk with all the severed heads of his enemies on spikes at the end of it, and he talks to them. Well, this guy isn't mad at all, is he? Lord Garth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So we've got a lot of Star Wars going on, and then next minute we're back into um, mm. DS9. Lita is melding mm. with Kosh. As she does. She has been carrying Darth Kosh around, but he seems darker than Kosh. She is told that she is free to, for a time and not to interfere. Londo calls Veer. He wants Veer to join him in a conspiracy. The Emperor sits down at his desk and talks to the heads of his enemies. Boo! Yeah, Doesn't, <laughs> Doesn't wave at him. Doesn't wave at him at all. No waving. Yeah. Yeah. Lita meets up with Ivanova. She is drinking vodka. Ivanova tells her about the Hour of the Wolf. Have you ever heard of the Hour of the Wolf? No. My father told me about it. It's, it's a time between three and four in the morning. You can't sleep and all you can see is the troubles and the problems and the ways that your life should have gone, but didn't. All you can hear is the sound of your own heart. I've been living in the hour of the wolf for seven days, Lita. Seven days. The wolf and I are now on a first name basis. But drinking vodka, it doesn't work. In times like this, my father used to take one large glass of vodka before bed to keep the wolf away, he said. And then he would take three very small drinks of vodka, just in case she had cubs while she was waiting outside. Doesn't work. She's not convinced the other races to search for Sheridan, but Lita has an idea. 
The White Star can jump out of hyperspace near Zahadum. You can scan for any signals. If he is alive, I know he'd find some way to try and contact you. But the shadows would be on us in a second. I think I can block any ships in the area telepathically. Not for long, just for a few minutes. Enough to try and contact him. But that's assuming that he was able to send a message within that window. I mean, if not... That's the other thing. If he is alive, I may be able to sense him. Ivanova agrees and calls Delenn. In the quickest time between two scenes ever, the White Star carrying Delenn and Ivanova, Linnea and Lita arrive at Zahadoum. Talk <laughs> about nothing in between. One scene, it dumps straight into the next scene and they're there. What happened to me? Where's all the... Where's the cutscene in between? Where's the bit in between where, you know, Malari's talking to Vera or something like that? That should have been inserted there. No, no, no time mm. for that. We, we, we've got <laughs> things to do. We've got exposition to, to write. We've got, yes. yeah. It makes it all the weirder that, you know, that they wouldn't just take the opportunity to just amass all their fleet and just jump over next door because that clearly is where it is. It's not a far <laughs> journey to get to Zahadun. It's Oh, it's just over there, actually. We can just see it. it's just just on the left. Yeah, okay, then over there. And then yeah. take a couple of Orlons for the, for, for all yeah. good purposes as well. Yeah. That, that close, they could take an Uber. <laughs> Uber to Zahadun. <laughs> you will not be getting back. You rated me one star. <laughs> one way ticket. <laughs> um, Lita's eyes turn black as she tries to fend off the shadows. Uh, Ivanova sends a signal. Lita tries telepathically, and Delenn just asks if he's there, as if in the seance. Somehow the message gets through, but it is something else that is heard. Something else heard the message? Um, possibly. Oh, yes. Yeah. The eyes in space. Ah, mm. yes. As if in the trance, Ivanova says they know our names and tell Lanier to take the ship down. The ship turns on its heels and runs back into the jump gate. They all come out of their trance. Lanier has set an automated return routine that if he didn't hit a button every two minutes, it would return them to the jump gate. Good thing. Mm. Mm. How important is Lanier this week? Because like he he was the calmest one talking to the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. He's the one looking out for Delenn. And he was also the one to set up this little dead switch that kind of meant that he saved the day. He's mm. just completely underrated in this episode. Without him, nothing would have happened. That's right. It's always somebody saving the backsides of the of the, mm. you know, the generals, isn't it? <laughs> uh, the, the entity, the eyes in space, Sean said it, the, uh, spoke to everyone in their father's voice, enticing them towards it. You heard it then, too? Yes. It knew everything about me. It was calling to me. I would have gone down there if we hadn't. What, what did it say to you? Nothing I can put into words. A voice of infinite sadness. It spoke in the voice of my father and mine. Lanier, get us the hell out of here. Initiating, getting the hell out of here maneuver. Did you continue to monitor until the last possible minute? Yes, I did. There was no signal. On Zahadum, in the caves, a figure is seen shuffling through it, through them. It drops a Babylon 5 rank insignia on the floor. Now, that should have been the end of the, the episode, but no. There's more. Veer is late arriving in Malari's quarters. He fills in Veer on the Emperor's plans. What's this all about? Emperor Kataja is insane. He has made a deal with these shadows, allowing them a base here in the belief that they will grant him godhood. Like the emperors of old, he wants to be immortal, to be worshipped. 
and he does not care who pays the price for his deification. Does anyone else know about this? Veer, when you are mad, you say these things the same way that you and I talk about the weather. Of course the others know, but they are afraid to move against him. Whoever does so will almost certainly be killed. Huh. That would be a drawback. They must stop Cartagia at all costs. These creatures must be driven away before it's too late. We must stop Cartagia, no matter the cost. The cost? That would be the dying thing, right? Veer, it is a terrible truth. But as one accumulates power, one loses friends. One only has those who wish to use you and those you wish to use. Veer is the closest thing to a friend and a compatriot. And yet, in all of this, you have somehow managed to walk through the corridors of power and not be touched. I can only assume you have not been paying attention. And still, the hideous truth is, you are the closest thing I have to a friend. I am as shocked and dismayed by this as you are, but there it is. Is it, it me, or did you guys see, it looks as though Stephen Hurst has lost weight in this episode. It mm. did kind of look like that, because maybe there was a break in between the summer. Yeah, maybe, they, maybe they've done what we did and shuffle a few, um, you know, they, they've recorded mm -hmm. a lot in between, and then when yeah, it comes to it, putting them out, they can put them out back to back, but he did, it seems to have lost a lot of weight. He did, yeah, for sure. I need a friend, Veer. And I need a patriot. And you are both. Will you help me, please? If you had any doubt what my answer would be, would you have asked me to come this far? No. No, I wouldn't have. And now we must do everything we can to save our world. You and I, Veer, must kill Emperor Kataja. Ivanova's commander's personal log states that she has come to the conclusion that Sheridan is dead. No, he's not. We've just seen him drop his rank insignia. Anyway, <laughs> she needs help finishing the work he has started and has to let him go. Meanwhile, Sheridan is alive and is on Zahadoom. He is joined by a stranger who answers his question um, with more with more questions and riddles. Who is this man? Why is Sheridan alive? All this and more in the next exciting episode of Babylon 5. So there you go. And you know what else will you go? This promo for another podcast right here on the ESO Network. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Let's move on to the trivia because there's a nice, this, this is a bit I like. The scene where Lando Malari cannot find his black coat was a plot device, forcing him to wear the season one purple coat so that it fitted with the Shadow Fleet arriving flash forward that was filmed in the first season. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I was going to bring that up. I'm like, we finally get to see that that scene mm. that we saw mm. in the first season. So. That's right. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I um, forgotten 
that that was in the first season. I thought it was actually season two or somewhere because it, it felt quite fresh in the memory. I remember that bit when he comes out and looks, but I haven't realised it was a flash forward. And yes, of course, if he's wearing a coat there and it's purple and he hasn't got it by the time he gets to season three, he's going to need it. <laughs> so I can't find my purple coat. Where's my, where's my, I can't find my black coat. Where's my black coat? I'll put this purple one on instead. Brilliant. Emperor Cartagia was based on the insane Roman Emperor Caligula. And actor Wartham Krimmer was specially chosen for his resemblance to Caligula. Mm-hmm. I haven't checked uh, to see whether he, he looks like it or not, but there you go. Well, Caligula is dead but for 2,000 years, so there is that. Mm. Well, that's true, and uh, Cartagia won't be uh, born for a couple of hundred years. So, uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Sean, are there any Star Trek connections? As a matter of fact, there kind of is. Oh. We've we yeah, it was tenuous, but uh, we've it got must be Rick, tenuous because I didn't find it. <laughs> Rick Ryan, who played the Brickeri ambassador, was actually in five episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh... But don't ask me what they were; I didn't write them down. <laughs> he played um, different characters. He did. I don't think I wrote them down either because I actually have he, that he in was the next a, episode. He was a Borg drone or something in one, and something else in another. Yeah, it wasn't important. It was just a connection. <laughs> Very good. Still a okay. good one. Yeah. Better than I found. I didn't find any. Okay. Ratings. Uh, we rate our uh, favorite episodes out of five jump gates. Um, for comparison, uh, IMDb uh, do those out of 10. I will go back to doing this as uh, uh, telling, telling you what IMDb do before we do ours because I keep forgetting. So they gave mm. it an 8.2. 4.1 so for us. Which is 4.1 for us. Uh, so Sean, what did you think of this episode? I had a hard time uh, rating this one at the beginning because when I watched it by myself last night, I was like, "Yeah, this is a pretty good episode." But then we were talking about it, and nothing exciting actually happens. It's not a big blockbuster for a season opener, uh, so it was good, and I enjoyed it. Uh, but I'm not going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a three point five. Okay, that's. Around about your average, so just an episode, yeah. Dan, what did you think? Yeah, um, I can't give it a five. It's not perfect for me. It needs to have that balance. And a four, I usually reserve for things that are significant and, you know, uh, that it delivered in lots of other ways. So I, it's got to be something, three something. And I just, I was really racking my brains of what it's going to be. It is a good, well-made piece of TV, so it will not go down to two um and I, I enjoyed all the character work and it's setting up season four so you do need to watch it even if it's not significant doesn't answer any questions so i'm probably gonna go 3.75 okay that's not too far where i've gone for um yeah i thought this was it was a poor poor season opener um mm. i thought the uh the reveal of the um, insignia falling on the floor was clunky. Uh, it was you know, they zoomed in on on Ivanova's you know, badge, and then you next see in the next episode, uh, next uh, scene, one fall on the floor, and I thought, well, that's a bit ham-handed. And I thought, well, that's the end of the episode then. So we, we get the idea that he could still be alive. Well, we know he's alive, but then there was a bit more scene. Then we went back to it again. I thought, well, why didn't why wasn't that the end of the episode? And then so it was a bit disappointing. Like I said, there wasn't really much happening in this. It was all setting it up, really, for the next episode and, and obviously setting it up for the next uh, season. So, 
but set up really as an opening. Where was the boom? There's no boom today. Mm. Maybe there's a boom tomorrow. Maybe. So, yeah, so there you go. So I'm going to give this a 3.7, which is my average at the moment, um, because it was a middling sort of episode. Not bad, but not good. So It was fine. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> As episodes go, this was an episode. Yes. We, and we watched it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's the end of this episode. Join us again next week when we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 2. Whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi? If you have any thoughts on this episode, why not send in some feedback to the epsilon3 at gmail.com. That's three spelled T-H-R-E-E, not the number. Or you can find us on our Facebook page. Just search for the Epsilon 3. Well, if you have any other problems, any other questions at all, just ask. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.